This beautiful weekend, Master's Weekend. Does anybody care? I do. I wore my Master's shirt. It's right here. Hey, this is, uh, it's good to, good to worship with you, to sing with you, and now to look at God's Word with you. I want to jump right into the first slide. This is so interesting. This is from Slate.com. I went to this website. It's an interactive thing they did. And uh, so each of those tiles represents a day in the year, the year of outrage. Interestingly, this is 2014. You probably thought it was this last year. If you go to March 18, um, maybe you're a Peanuts fan, Charlie Brown and Snoopy. 2014, the movie came out. People were outraged. The, 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 the Peanuts purists, they were outraged that computer-generated imagery was used rather than the regular cartoon technology. That's something to be mad about, right? Yeah. Hey, if 2014 is called the year of outrage, what in the world do we call 2020, 2021? Oh, my goodness. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about, um, you know, we're all born with a sin nature that is a propensity to um, think incorrectly, do incorrectly in God's eyes. But you add to that, you know, and then all of the stress from this last year, the political stress, and then, boy, did that fire people up. Um, and then you had the, uh, all the racial discord and disharmony. And then, of course, COVID and all the fallout from that, along with, uh, what was it, uh, the shutdowns and masks and then toilet paper. That was huge. Uh, maybe we could call it the year of uh, offense or the years of offense where we're just feeling offended. Do we, how do you do with it, deal with that? Are you easily offended, easily angered? There's an author of a book called Unoffendable by Brand Hansen called You Can Choose to Be, he says, you can choose to be unoffendable. Not only can we choose to be unoffendable, we should choose that. But how do we do that? How do we become less offended uh, less angered, and so we're calling this brief two-week series before we get into the book of Ruth in a few weeks uh, called Unoffendable. And today what we're looking at specifically is how do we get rid of anger? Um, now, sidebar disclaimer, um, anger is an incredibly complex issue, um, and it's very uh, multifaceted, multidimensional. There's no way we could cover all of it all of the issues of anger in this short time we have. But what we can do is look at what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians chapter 4. All right? Many, many, many years ago, when my wife and I were preparing to get married, we were going through pre-marriage counseling, and the pastor helping us do that, he spent almost his entire time in chapter 4 because the theme of that chapter from beginning to end is this idea of Unity, unity within your relationship. For us, it was marriage, but who doesn't want relational unity in our families, at the workplace, uh, in your neighborhood, in our country, uh, in our church, right? Uh, last night, we were, my wife and I were over here this way celebrating our son's birthday. His wife is from this area, and his wife's family lives here. And so we were at their home last night, and we were playing Truth or Dare. I'd never played it before. But I learned, I learned a dance move. And I, I learned I can bust a move. I'll show you later on. I did, I'll show you later. And the reason I did that is because I told them I was going to do that. And I just want to say, last night was so much fun. I felt such a, a unity in our family, extended family. It was so great. And you, you know what that feels like. Um... But that unity can be absolutely destroyed. Whatever relational 
network you're thinking of at this point. It can be destroyed. It can be dismantled. It can be eroded. It can go away uh, because of uncontrolled anger. So as Paul develops his thought on unity through chapter 4, we come to these words. This is what he writes. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Let's just talk about anger for a moment, what it is. Now, in a way, it's, it's, it's like two sides of the, of the same coin. There is a good kind of anger, a bad kind of anger. There's a righteous kind of anger. They call it righteous indignation. Maybe in your mind is the story of Jesus in the New Testament where he gets angry and he overturns the tables in the temple of the money changers. It's not because they were exchanging money. It's because there were people coming from distant lands with a, with a different type of currency than used in that area. And so these money changers would change it to the, current, to, the, to the appropriate currency, but they were charging a lot of money to do that, keeping people from worshiping God. This made Jesus angry that these money changers were keeping people from worshiping God. We also should be angry if people are kept from worshiping God, which happens around the world in, under tyrannical governments. We should be angry if people are kept from hearing about Jesus. We should be angry uh, at racial injustice. We should be angry when people disrespect law enforcement. We should be angry at environmental pollution. We should be angry at all kinds of injustices. Very simply said, we should be angry at the things God is angry at, as expressed through Scripture. It's okay to be angry. In the right way. But there's also the wrong kind of anger, uh, an unrighteous kind of anger we see now and then. In the news just recently, uh, there was a guy, I think it was out west, he was in this excruciatingly slow drive through at a fast food restaurant. He gets up to the window, maybe you read this story, he takes out his gun, and he fires through the window. I wouldn't tell that story if someone was hurt. No one was hurt. And he didn't get his food, from what I understand. But uh, what a story. What anger displayed. Well, <clears throat> I've never done that, but I've been angry, and so have you, in ways that we kind of regret, right? I can think back through times when I got angry. And you know what? When I think about it, it was pretty much all about me, you know? It's because I couldn't control a situation. I couldn't control someone. I didn't get my way. It boiled down to pure selfishness. We all know what that's like. So good, good kind of anger, bad kind of anger. Uh, and sometimes the line between the two is blurry. But regardless of what kind of anger it is, this is Paul's concern or his warning, don't sin by letting anger control you. Now, what does anger look like? It's kind of a generic term. So a few verses later, Paul gives us a better look at what anger is by giving us terms that sort of fit within the family of anger. This is what he says. Get all rid of all bitterness, rage, there's our word anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Wow. So what do those mean? Some different definitions have floated over the years. Let's go way back to Aristotle, who said bitterness is a resentful spirit which refuses to be reconciled. Feel that. Rage. An outburst of passion. Harsh words. The loud self-assertion of the angry person who will make everyone hear their grievance. We've all been there. We've all heard it. Or slander. Speaking evil of others, especially behind their backs, and so defaming and even destroying their reputation. You take all those words together, all those words that fit into the ballpark of anger and related behavior, and you got a recipe for no unity, 
because anger starts to control you. And that is a problem. So Paul writes, get rid of all forms of anger. Before we get into how to do that, Paul gives us a sense of urgency, like why it's so important. We read these words just a few moments ago. He says, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. What does that mean? Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Literally, what it means, if you're struggling with anger, you have less time to deal with it in December than you do in June. Now, that's literally, right? But what he means is you, you can't let you can't let anger fester in your heart. You got to get after it. You got to deal with it. You got to find some resolution to that anger so it does not control you because if you don't, you give a foothold to the devil. That's Satan. That's our enemy. We put ourselves right in the position where he wants us to be. Seeds of bitterness, seeds of rage germinate in our souls blossoms in anger and it begins to control us and we sin. That's just right where the enemy wants us to be. And when we have that bitterness and that rage and that we start slandering others, now, now we carry with us, you might call it the scent of hell. <laughs> so how do, we, how do we carry the aroma of heaven about us? Where we're known for people who we, 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 we long for, we fight for unity in our relational circles, whatever that might be. How do you do that? Well, just before Paul's words on anger, he gives us some principles. I'm going to give you three principles. They're so easy. They just lay straight out from Ephesians chapter 4. Principles for not allowing anger to, to control who we are. For, for, for arriving at, us, at unity, right? Not being so offended. This is, this is what he says, just before his words on anger. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Now that's in the NLT means New Living Translation. That's what we typically use here at the church. But I learned chapter 4 in the New International Version, and I, and I like these words better in the NIV, and it goes like this. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And you read, that, you read that sentence, and you could just read so quickly past and not even pick up on that word, speak. In the original language, in the Greek, Paul has that as an imperative. It's a, it's a command. We need to speak. In another letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he makes it very clear. The only one who is able to read minds is the Holy Spirit. I can't read my wife's mind. She can't read mine. I can't read your mind. You can't read my mind. But the Holy Spirit is able to read minds. Paul says, speak. How many times have we been in a setting where we hear somebody say, or maybe we say, I had no idea you were thinking that. Why didn't you just speak up? We've all been there, right? Paul says, speak. I, no, no mind games, no silent treatment, no seething, no, no hiding what you're thinking. Just speak, speak up. Where I used to work in another church in Akron, we had a little saying around the office, I assume everything is okay between us if you don't say anything. We need to speak. Paul says, speak. 
Now, just a, a, a sidebar comment. When we go to speak, it's always better to pray first, and here's a way to pray, two ways to pray. One, God, before I say anything, would you help me to discern my motives? Like, what is, is this really an issue, or is this me just not getting my way, or me just being bugged by their personality? Help me to sort out, should I really say something? Should I really speak up? That's important. But once you get the green light, God, now give me the wisdom to say what I need to say in a way that will connect and communicate what I really need to say. Uh, Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 4, when you speak, let your words be gracious and seasoned with salt. Right? Now, that's speak. But Paul goes on. He says, speak truthfully. There's the word truthfully, underline. <laughs> truthfully. To speak, what does that mean? Well, at a minimum, it means don't lie. <laughs> Maybe we need to hear that. You don't lie. <laughs> but, but it means more than that. It means, it means no um, half-truths, no innuendos, which means beating around the bush, no hinting. Speak, speak what the truth is. We've all been in a setting where, where somebody says or you say, uh, I, why did you tell me all of that in the first place? And Paul is simply saying, speak. Speak what you intend to say in the first place. Speak the truth. Now, there's a way to speak the truth, and there's a way not to speak the truth. Paul helps us understand how to speak the truth. He gives us a qualifier. Uh, now, to, to arrive at this qualifier, we need to go back in the chapter a little bit to verse 15. And this is what Paul writes. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. There's our qualifier. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. We are to speak the truth in love. That's the third principle. I have a, a, a very good friend. I had a very good friend. He just recently passed away from COVID complications. One of the most, one of the greatest influences in my life ever. He lives over, lived over in Akron. And um, he, he was known as being a velvet-covered brick. He knew how to deliver the truth, but to deliver it in love. He was with a guy one day who was known for his very harsh, direct ways of communicating. And my friend said to him, you know, they say that I come across like a velvet-covered brick, but you're just a brick. <laughs> and maybe you know somebody who's just a brick. Or maybe you are just a brick. And this is where Paul helps us understand how to be a velvet-covered brick. I once heard somebody say this, that, that um, truth becomes hard if not softened by love. Love becomes soft if not strengthened by truth. You, you need the two hand in hand, and that's what Paul does in this chapter on unity. He holds the two hand in hand. We are to speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. So he gives us a couple of principles on, to show us what, what, what lovingly, truthing the love looks like. And this is what he says, speak words of life, not death. Do not, this is where I get that from, speak the truth of life, not death. 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let me just go back for a moment. Look at the word unwholesome there. I love that word unwholesome. It's probably it's translated differently in different versions of the Bible, but if you go back to the original language, the word unwholesome there that Paul uses is the very same word Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 13, I think it's verse 48, when Jesus is referring to rotten, dead, useless fish. <laughs> I grew up on Lake Erie. I know what rotten fish lying on the beach is like. We used to throw them at people. <laughs> what Paul is saying here, what Paul is saying here is don't throw rotten fish at people. Um, some of us in the room grew up with in homes where we saw that as an example, where, where rotten fish were thrown at each other. Poor communication patterns. Or maybe you're at a workplace now or in a setting now where it's just rotten fish are being thrown back and forth. And what Paul is trying to communicate here is that is not a picture of love. What love does, it looks for ways to not tear down people, but to build them up. You can see it here. It looks for a, a way to, to meet a need, to figure out what the need is, and then to figure out how to not hurt them, but to actually benefit them. That's what love does. It builds up. It doesn't tear down. No throwing unwholesome words around. We all do it at times. I've done it in my marriage. I've done it with friends. And, uh, and you know what happens? I start to feel guilt. My conscience begins to be bothered which I think is what leads Paul to his very next words. Almost said, almost said parenthetically after these words, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, Paul writes these words, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is, the amazing, this is one of the amazing things that happens. When you put your faith in Christ, immediately God's Spirit comes to live within you, sets up residence in your life, and begins a journey with you, helping you to become more and more like Christ. And, and so when we throw rotten fish around at people, this, this brings sorrow to God's heart because we are not acting as Jesus acted. Jesus said some strong words to people. It was always, always spoken out of love. When we throw rotten fish around, we are bringing sorrow to the Holy Spirit himself. And I think what happens is the Holy Spirit begins to prick and prod and poke at our conscience, which leads us to the point of like, wow, I did wrong. I need to go ask forgiveness. So the, the, the first principle of love Paul gives us is that we are not to uh, share words of death but of life. But then Paul goes on. And the, very, the very last, this is what he says, forgive and let go, the very last verse of chapter 4 on unity goes like this. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. What, what does it look like to be really loving? <laughs> it's to be kind and to be tender-hearted. But what does it look like to be kind and tender-hearted? Forgiveness. That's what it looks like, forgiveness. I was thinking about 
Paul's letter, again, I referenced it earlier, to, to the Corinthians, his first letter. It's really an interesting letter because he begins by telling them the most important thing in this church. He's writing to the Corinthian church. The most important thing is unity. But the rest of the letter, letter is Paul addressing the issues that they have with each other. They're, they're all so easily offended by each other's thoughts and behavior that the potential for real anger is there. And so Paul is addressing this. And finally, we come to chapter 13. Maybe you know that chapter. It's read in just about every wedding there is, what love looks like, right? But Paul doesn't have a wedding in mind. He has a picture of what any set of relationships should look like. This is what love looks like. And at one point he says, love does not keep a record of wrongs. What does that mean? Forgiveness. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness does not keep a record of wrongs. Speak the truth in love. Forgive each other. You want, you want to, 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 to dismantle anger? Do you want to decrease the potential for anger in a relationship? Learn to forgive. <laughs> what is forgiveness? It means don't keep a record of wrongs. It means moving on. It means letting go. It means not dwelling on whatever the, the problem was. I think of the story of Clara Barton. She was the founder of Red Cross. One time she was giving a speech somewhere, and there was somebody there in the audience who had been at a place where she, where she had been offended deeply by somebody. And after the talk, this guy said, why didn't you tell the story about that guy and how he offended you so badly some years ago? And she said, oh, no, I didn't want to. I distinctly remember forgetting it. That's what forgiveness is. It's choosing not to dwell on the problem. Learning to forgive. Now, there's some things that forgiveness is not. We talked about this at Good Friday service last week. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean trusting that person anytime soon. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean feeling good about it. Forgiveness does not mean you agree with what they did. Forgiveness does not mean uh, that it's just a one-time event. It could be a, you know, a succession. It's a, forgiveness is often a process. Forgiveness is not a lot of things, but forgiveness does mean letting go. Wiping the record clean. Moving on. That's what forgiveness is. That's a picture of love. You want to, 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 to fight anger in your life. Don't throw in wholesome words. Learn to forgive. That's a picture of love. We speak the truth in love. When, 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 when Jesus hung on the cross, all of, all of God's anger it's called the wrath of God. All of God's anger and wrath toward sin was placed on Jesus. It was placed on Jesus. So that means if you are in Christ, there is no, there is no anger of God toward you whatsoever. God's forgiveness completely, freely flows toward his children, which is incredibly freeing to me knowing that I don't have to be angry at anybody. I can forgive anybody because I am so freely forgiven and God's anger does not flow toward me. Somebody once said, and I think it's so true, that when you see somebody who, who has a spirit of forgiveness, who really knows how to forgive somebody deeply, they get it. They really get it. They get, they get it that God has forgiven them that deeply in Christ if you're a believer, celebrate that. If you're not sure where you are with Christ, 
you want to know that forgiveness that comes through faith in Jesus alone. So, in closing, let me just ask you, would you like to get rid of anger? Would you like to not be controlled by anger? Would you, would you like to not be easily offended? Would you like to have unity in your marriage, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your country, in your church? There's so many other things we could say, but Paul makes it pretty simple. Let's start here. Let's speak. Let's speak the truth. And let's speak the truth in love and all that love means. Let's pray. And now, God, thank you for the great gift of Christ who has come for us and remove the anger that you have toward our sin. We are your children. Thank you for that. Now, God, would you free us? Free us to, to not be so easily offended. Free us to not be controlled by anger. Help us to freely forgive just as we have been forgiven. Thank you. Thank you for this week and for your grace and for the chance to come together and worship so many places around the world. People are not allowed to worship. We're grateful that we have that freedom here. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's good to worship with you. Enjoy the day. Enjoy the masters if you care. Uh, may, your, may your person win. See you. <laughs>